Jewish Road Podcast. Hello, and good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you happen to be. Or whatever time they happen to be listening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I caught you right there in the middle of you drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah, you interrupted me. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost noon. It's past noon here, and you're still going on the coffee. Yeah, I got to stay awake. Yeah. All right. Okay. Welcome to the Jewish Robe Podcast. We are here with another episode, and I'm looking forward to this one. This will be uh, basic and profound, all in the same. Wow. Yeah, both. Wow. It'll be both of those things. I can hardly hear. wait wait to hear what we're going to say. Yeah. Um, so we are here, and we, we tell the story of uh, really— uh, our, our hope is that, that God would bring together um, two groups of people, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And really God established from the very beginning that his people, his chosen people are the Jewish people. And he really called them to be a light and a blessing to all the nations around them. Right. This is, he made covenant with them and they're his covenant people. But the plan didn't go so well because of his chosen people. Where did they go wrong? Well... When the Messiah came, as the scriptures prophesied that he would, uh, they didn't all follow him. They didn't all believe. In fact, most of them did not. Yeah. 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 And so that, that promise that was there for the people was pulled back. It was rescinded, and it's being saved for, not given to the church in replacement of the Jewish people, the chosen people, but will be given to them again. And if you read three critical chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll see that God is not done with his people. But this, what we're going to talk about today, is a story of God's faithfulness uh, to his people, uh, despite their fear, uh, despite their trepidation. And uh, we're going to walk through that story. But first... Oh, oh. Yeah. Are we going to go back to the Catskills? Maybe just for a second. Okay. What do you have? Do you got one? You you were saying one uh, a little earlier, made yourself laugh. So it's oh. not for me, maybe not even for the people. Maybe just give this one. This is just a little gift you give yourself here. Well, I mean, that's there, mostly... there, there was a funny, a funny thought uh, yeah. uh, because I remember a story about the doctor who gave a man six months to live oh. and the man couldn't pay his bill. So yeah. the doctor gave him another six months. <laughs> Uh, if only people could see how much you enjoy doing it yeah. that's uh that's good i enjoy that you enjoy yeah. it yeah uh, you're looking up another one aren't you yeah, yeah. well yeah. go ahead i'm not going to stop <laughs> you at this point we can always edit it out well, later this this is kind of funny you know i don't know if the rest of the world out there will think this is funny but this is this is kind of jewish humor uh and it goes something like this why do jewish men die before their wives oh boy i don't know because they want to oh Again, we're gonna have to take this apart one time. Like, it, it feels like all the are, are all Jewish marriages bad. Is that the idea? No, no. But Jewish humor is prolific. It is, and it seems like the the prolific part of it is that the the man and the woman can't really ever get together. Maybe it's it all goes back to Fiddler on the Roof and the matchmaker. The whole matchmaking scene doesn't work very well. You got to pick your own. I, I I think the part of it that's really healthy is the fact of something that we've kind of lost in, in the time that we're living in is that we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. Uh, and that's honestly the reason that we're doing all this anyway, because yeah. if we just sat here and talked about messianic Jewish theology and dead rabbis and all that, we, we would, man, this thing would get very boring. And well, I, I, very think that, I think that's interesting. <laughs> well, I know you do. 
Obviously, yeah. you do. That's the problem. That's why we need to have just a little bit of... Yeah. Sometimes I thought we'd just take like a little commercial break right in the middle of the podcast, yeah. and we'd throw the joke in right there. Yeah. A little shtickle of fun. Just a little bit, yeah. I got one. Can I tell you one? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Two men are waiting for a train, and the younger man asks the older man for the time, but the older man, he just ignores him. And after a while, the younger man asks again for the time, and again... The older man ignores him. <laughs> and he's frustrated. And the younger man finally asks, why won't you answer me when I ask for the time? And the older man, he sighs and he explains. He says, look, if I tell you the time, we'll start to talk. And then when the train comes, you might sit down next to me. And perhaps we'll get to know each other. And maybe I'll eventually even invite you over to my house for Shabbat dinner. And maybe then you and my daughter would really get along. Why, you might even get engaged. And why would I want a son-in-law who can't even afford a watch? (laughs) That's, uh, yeah. That's all I got. A little Jewish humor. Just a little bit. All right. Done with that. Can we move on? Yeah. All right. Let's do this. We are going to talk about the most important, maybe not even the most important, but the most popular, uh, the most well-known story in all of the Bible. Would you say that it gets that that crowning achievement? Yeah, I would say it is. I, I we're going to talk about David and Goliath. Yeah, and that's you know most of the people who went to Sunday school when they were kids learned about that. Yep. In fact, in Hebrew school, I learned about that. Oh, that's what that's about the only thing I learned. Well, I should say we we you know we started into our Hebrew and all of that, but uh, we we were really big on stories and. You know, Daniel and the lion's den and David and Goliath and Noah and the ark and all of that stuff, you know. But it, there, there's more to it than what we learned when we were little. Well, and, and part of this was uh, you and I are in the midst of prepping for our upcoming Israel trip and we're taking a gaggle of folks over there. And we we're just reading about the Valley of Elah and uh, really the, the story that takes place there. And of course, you can't just sit there and tell the story. You you did two days of, of studying on it. I thought, well, let's not let that go to waste, and let's let's pick up some of it. So, if we're looking at the David and Goliath story, you know, we, we can look at it from a very this is like a Veggie Tales flannel graph Sunday school. This is what what everybody's heard is There's more to it than that, right? But it's it's a story between David and Goliath, and if you actually if you could take it a step. Further, and maybe in some of like seminary classes, Bible classes, we, we're going to look at this not just from an individual one-on-one perspective, but let's look at the nations that are involved. And we have Israel and we have the Philistines. Philistines, right. And then what will—and and so we'll, we'll dig into some of that because I think that that helps to couch the story a little bit. But really, in the end, what we have to do is we have to ask the question, what does this story look like from God's perspective? That if God is the overarching meta narrative in all of this, and we are really just part of the story, we are subplots in this story, then what is God trying to tell us in this in this movement, right? Yeah. And and not just tell us, but what does this actually tell us about God? Yeah. What is He doing, and what does He expect us to do? So there you go. Yeah. So let's do this. We know we have the Israelites. We know we have the Philistines. But before we get even into the first word of 1 Samuel 17, 
What's going on behind the scenes? This well, is where you get to share yeah. all of that stuff you I, I like the historical part of uh, things. Everything you love, everything is connected to everything else. It's just uh, all, it's well, just, man, you, you can't know, have a, I had so much fun as a history teacher in high school yeah. with my kids yeah. that uh, I, I find that the history of things is just the foundation of it. So what we're looking at here, we're looking at how Israel is engaged in an ongoing battle with the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines come into the land. They actually come from the west. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the seafaring people, right? The Mediterranean, they're seafaring. Yeah. Um, yeah, they come from the Greek Isles, actually. And uh, as they come in, they, they took uh, Gaza and Ashdod and Ashkelon and then moved inward a little ways uh, to uh, Gath and Ekron. And... What's interesting is that uh, the Philistines, uh, they never considered themselves inhabitants of the land. They, you know, coming from the outside, um, they, they only came for one purpose because they were dealing with a big famine in uh, the places where they were, countries where they were. And so they come to the land and they come for uh, not, not only for food and trade, but for power. And so uh, you have this... The seafaring people, pagan people coming into the land from the west, and at the same time, you have Israel coming in from the east, uh, in through Jordan and Jericho. So when I look at people and wars and countries, and maybe this is just my generation, but like I, I look at this and like, why why do we have to fight anybody anytime? Like you stay over there, I'll stay over here. We have our land and we're going to be fine. Why does there have to be a war? Why do we have to kill people, right? So some people are asking that question. Why Why is this face-off even taking place to begin with? Is this about land? Is this about uh, power? It, it, it's about power. It's about, uh, you know, the Philistines wanted to come in and they, they wanted to have the power. They wanted to have a, a stature uh, as, as they're coming in. And uh, Israel is coming in, uh, not for any of that, but just by the fact that the Lord, the God of Israel, is leading them into that land because of the fact that he made promises to our forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he is bringing them in. And don't forget, where was Israel for 400 years prior to this time? Egypt. Yeah, they're in Egypt. And for that same period of time, you have the Canaanites in the land. Mm -hmm. And the evil and the wickedness had grown so much that God says, okay, I've had it with them. I'm bringing my people in this, you know, when you think of it, this, you know, uh, ill-equipped people for war, and he's going to bring them in and he's going to eradicate the evil. That's what he wants to do. That is in the land from all of these, there are seven Gentile nations that were original inhabitants of the land, you know, the, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, uh, Jebusites, Ar uh, Amorites. Um, so these are, you know, the nations that are in there and he brings Israel in. All right. So they're there and we have a face-off. And if we're looking at the narrative, we have in first Samuel 17, it says in verse one, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah. They both Ephesus belong to, to Judah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have this face-off, and when you're there, um, we're actually standing in the valley. And there in the valley, there's lots of rolling hills, foothills. These are not mountains. These are not massive mountains. 
Um, but you you stand there right in the middle of the valley and you look to one side and we have Soko and you turn around, you look at the other side and you have Azika. And and now we have a face off. And the and the the armies are gathering there, they're ready to go kill each other. Yeah. Uh I I think we should pick up a, a point here that maybe we uh would be important to uh you know insert into this and that that is the fact that all of a sudden Israel has a king. Oh yeah. We didn't mention that. Um This is the United Kingdom. What's United, that? The United Kingdom. Well they have a they have a king. They didn't have any king. Right. God was their king. Right. And now all of a sudden Israel in the land is looking around, they're saying, We want a king like all the other people, like, like all, all the, other, the nations. other nations. Right. Yeah. So Samuel says, Are you sure about that? And uh, God chooses, and we have Saul here. This is the first king of what we call the United Kingdom. That's what I was talking about earlier. Okay. Now you got it. And you, this is this is the people's choice. Yeah. You know, he's tall, he's handsome. Uh, he is, you know, uh, the king's king, you know, is at least from a human perspective. I'd like to think he looks a lot like you actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know how to take that. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. All right. So they have Saul, he's the people's king and he's really the first king of, of Israel. So we have, we have Saul there and he, he should be the man who towers above everybody else, if ever there's going to be a leader, not just a smart mind, but a able body, it would have been Saul. Yeah, and, and we find in 1 Samuel chapter 14 that there is continuous warfare taking place, and Saul constantly surrounds himself with the strongest, the bravest, the mightiest warriors. Uh, he, he surrounds himself with that for the, the protection that he feels like he needs and his army needs and so on. And, uh, you know, you, you look at that and you get a kind of an idea of who this man Saul is. And then you think of David and David, for example, in, in Psalm 20, he says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And that's kind of a little bit of a throwback to David's mindset as he's going into all of this, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what we really can see is the hearts of these two men. Yeah. And so here's the face-off in verse 3. It says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. And the champion was named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Six cubits and now, a span. Now, tell us even just about the warfare. Like, what? How, how come they're not just, you know, they blow a whistle and everybody, you know, starts charging like you see in Lord of the Rings and all the battle movies. They just start going. What's happening here is they're sending one down yeah. to the middle. Yeah, they're sending one. They're mightiest from their side. And then Israel would send one from their side. And whoever wins, then the other side would be their slaves. That's And that's how, that's how you did it, right? That's how the warfare goes. So uh, does Israel have an army that they're going to send against Goliath? Is anybody willing to go? Well, they have an army, but there's nobody willing to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saul doesn't want to go. No. And uh, his mightiest men, uh, nobody wants to go. Uh, and they have this little runt 
shows up. Well, but you're just skipping ahead a little bit on no, the story okay. there, right? So we know that Goliath comes down. It says in scripture here, it says six cubits and a span, right? So what, what we know is that he's really big. Now, a cubit was known biblically as from your elbow, basically to your wrist. Yeah, so about 18 inches. So yeah, generally it's, it's 18 inches. That's how they even get like when Noah is making the ark and how they can kind of figure out what a cubit is. That That's basically the standard. Now, it says six cubits here. Uh, there's a little bit of, you know, some people, uh, Josephus, I think in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it might say four cubits, which would put him more at six foot nine instead of nine foot six. Either way, he's very big. He's big. Uh, amongst the people during that time, people did not get very tall. In fact, they kind of maxed out around five feet. So if you were actually to go back into those days, I myself would have been a giant. Oh my gosh. That's what I like to think about when yeah, I, I read yeah. this passage. Well, and David is probably maybe, if he is that tall, maybe maybe five feet. Okay, but we haven't even got to David in the narrative yet. So this is, we have a helmet of bronze on Goliath's head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight was, of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 100 pounds. I knew you would know that. Thank you. And he had bronze armor on his legs, javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. How much is that? That's about 15 pounds. You know that too. And his shield bearer went before him. So he he doesn't even have to hold his own shield. He has somebody who's going out in front of him with a shield. Is that even legal in the the whole fighting thing? Yeah. Well, I I guess it is. I mean, I don't, I didn't see the rules, but yeah, he, he, here's this giant who's going out and he has a guy in front of him to protect him. All right. So now says he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. There's the challenge, right? And let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yeah, that's a problem. It's a big problem, right? You have this entire army and nobody is willing to stand up to the giant. Now, I... I have an interesting take on this, that we have this word man shows up over and over and over again. And so as we go through, I want to just have us pay attention to that just a little bit. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, finally, get to David. You get to talk about David now. Yeah. All right, so David enters the scene. That's that's the backdrop, right? That's the yeah. setting. It's the establishing shot. And now somewhere far off in the land, far, far away, we have little David. Yeah, yeah, from from Bethlehem. Uh, he, his father was a Bethlehemite. Uh, they, his family was from Bethlehem. His brothers were with Saul at the Valley of Elah, mm-hmm. and they are part of the contingent that is trying to figure out who's going to go against this giant and David keeps running back and forth from Bethlehem. His father sends him to check on his brothers, to bring them food, so on and so forth. That's about a 20-mile run mm-hmm. every time he does that. Can you yeah. imagine schlepping food with you and going 20 miles? Most people can't even walk 20 miles. That's right. So you have Jerusalem and about seven miles south of Jerusalem. We have Bethlehem and then another 20 miles south of that. And this is kind of in the area of Bet Shemesh where there's another 
kind of giant, but it was Israel's giant was Samson, right? Yeah. A man, a man of strength. But yeah, this is this is a back and forth journey, and David is making this back and forth, and and David's dad says, "Hey, I want you to take some stuff to your brothers and go say hi, check in on them." Yeah, and and during the whole process, while all of this is happening, Goliath keeps coming out and barking at Israel, saying, "Send out somebody to fight me." Yeah. And it says, actually, it was for 40 days, this is in verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and he took his stand morning and evening. Mm-hmm. 80 times, 80 times the Goliath, this this Goliath of Gath, this giant of a man comes down and he's taunting. But also whenever we see 40 in the Bible, it's always a season of transition. Something is about to change. It's a cue for us, literary, literarily speaking, uh, to pay attention because something is about to change in the story. It's a transition number, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and something is about to change here um, in all of these trips back and forth that David is making. Finally, David hears what's happening and he says to Saul... And it might add that his brothers don't really want him there. They they say to David, what are you doing here? Yeah. You're just here for the, the battle. You want to see all the, the blood and guts. Yeah. And David says to them, why do you let this giant, this pagan Philistine, uh, say these things about you and say these things about our God? Yeah. So he's watching this. And as he's coming to visit his brothers, it just so happens that... He's there at the time that Goliath is coming down for his twice a day little visit. I wonder how how much longer Goliath and the Philistines were going to keep playing this game going back and forth, right? Yeah. But there has to be an intervention at this point. And what I hear, I was telling you about the, the word man um, in, in this passage. Listen to this starting in verse 24. It says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine takes away the reproach from Israel? Basically, we're getting ashamed right here. Yeah. For you, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, which every once in a while when my kids were younger, they they would, you know, get in a little fight and they would call each other uncircumcised Philistine, which, you know, in a Jewish household yeah. is the worst yeah. thing you could call somebody. Yeah. So who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? His perspective, we get a sense of that. And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. So we have this establishment that this is a battle for a man, but David's showing up there as just a boy. Yeah, he's a boy. Yeah, and uh, and he says at one point that he wants to go out and face the Philistine. Yeah, he even says, "Let no man's heart fail because of him." Yeah. So the, the, Saul hears about this and calls David, which is an interesting thing. Like, I would just, I can't imagine, um, doesn't matter how scared I would be if my kid comes up to me and says, dad, I'm willing to go out there. Like, I'll go do that. That I, There's no way that I would ever, like, you are setting your kid up. You're, David was set up by Saul to go out there and die. Yeah. This was resignation at this point because nobody wanted to do it. Well, David had to convince him. He said, listen, I can do it. 
Uh, I took on a bear. I took on a lion. Uh, and I'll take on this Philistine. Yeah. <laughs> but even before that, he says, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Mm-hmm. And it says, but he has been a man since he was a youth. Yeah. He says, even when he was a kid, he was a man. Yeah. He says, but you're just a kid. Yeah. And he says, well, I, I've done this before. I've taken on other giants. They've been animals, but I, I know how to do this. Yeah. 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 And so <laughs> what does Saul do? He puts his armor on David. Right. And he puts a shield on and he puts the helmet on and he puts everything on and David can't even walk. Right. It's too big. Yeah. And so uh, David says, take all this stuff off of me. He grabs his sling and he starts marching out into the valley. And it's really, you know, and we're, we're talking about this. And I think what we're going to call this is like faith in the midst of fear. Um, but what we're, what we're looking at is, is David's focus the whole time is not really, he, he's not looking at this from a size perspective of what, what I have versus what Goliath has. He's looking at this from a God perspective. Yeah. And he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and Lord be with you. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't lose it, buddy. Yeah. Go and God bless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have the face off. Yeah. So David, David goes out. He goes out to this uh, little brook that runs, runs through the valley and he picks up five stones. Yeah. Puts them in his sling and puts one in his sling and he lets it fly. That's it. But can, can I can I just say something here? Yeah, what What are you going to say? I feel like you, you keep jumping some ahead from some of the really great parts of the story here, yeah. right? So the Philistine says, "Move forward," and came near David with his shield bearer, shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a oh, boy, youth, a boy. Yeah. He's a yeah. kid, right. ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said, "Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed. David by his gods. Uh -huh. I think what we miss sometimes is the supernatural behind the scenes yeah. that's taking place. We see a very human, and I think we get the human side of this story oftentimes, mm -hmm. but the Philistine, he has his own gods and he's trusting in his own gods maybe, but he also has his strength, but this is not David's perspective, right? Yeah. And the Philistine says to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air into the beasts of the field. And then David speaks. Yeah. And I have something I want to do here. Noah, you might need to turn on the reverb for a second because David now comes up. And David, he comes up to the battle lines and he says this. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And then all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Oh. Wow. 
and then we fade out the Braveheart music. Bad. He's not scared. No, no, he, he has no fear at all. He's trusting in the Lord, the God of Israel. And so at this point, he picks up the stone. Yep. And he fires it at Goliath, and he strikes him right in the forehead. That's right. And the stone actually embeds in his forehead. Yeah. And he falls flat on his face. Uh, that was the only part of Goliath that was not covered. Mm, that's right. He had like a one shot, yeah. one shot to get it right yeah. there in that spot. Yeah. But it wasn't David that had to do it. I think God was directing the stone. Yeah, I think so. And I think Goliath may not have been dead yet until David went up to him, pulled Goliath's sword out of his own sheath, mm. and then cut his head off. Mm. Yeah. Just as he said he would. It's interesting too. Yeah, and he takes his head takes his head all around there and and then you have something and, and all of all of a sudden you know the rest of the battle is taking place and it says the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. You know what's also interesting about this is when David comes and, and Goliath is there and they're both at the, the battle line. The Philistine arose, came up and drew near to meet David. But then it says David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Like just no fear whatsoever, right? Yeah. Like I would, I would be crawling my way up to that battle line, but he goes there and it says, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And, and he says, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. And then the king says, inquire whose son he is. And as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul and David is coming in there with to Saul. He's holding the head Goliath's of Goliath. Head. <laughs> He's just like taking it around, yeah. which is crazy. And then the language switches and says, and Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? Ah, uh, now young David's man. a man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is bar mitzvah basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Yeah. That's the story. And there's more to it. By the way, when we're, uh, when we're there in Israel... Uh, we're going to talk about, there's something that we uh, skipped over, but it's just much better in the land is uh, there in verse 52. Uh, it says that they chased them. They wounded the Philistines and they fell on their way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. Yeah. And they found something there at Sha'arim that we'll get to talk about in Israel. Yeah. Unless you send us an email, I'll send you a little bit. I'll yeah. send you what was going on there. All right. So what do we have here? It's a great story. We have uh, faith conquered fear. Faith conquered fear. So when you, you know, and, and the, the typical, the typical, you know, Sunday school lesson is uh, who's the Goliath in your life, right? Um, but I, I think that this story is telling us something much greater, much bigger. Um, that this is not just a story between uh, David and Goliath. This is not just a story about us and our fears, but it's when we are faced with a situation that is much bigger um, what does this story tell us about God? Yeah. Who are you going to turn to? Uh, are you going to rely on yourself? I mean, this happens all the time, every day to every person. And who are you going to turn to? Are you going to, are you going to look to your own resources? Are you going to look to people around you? I mean, people around you can help. They can come alongside. But God ultimately is the one who is our shield and our protector. That's right. David didn't have a shield, but That's he had God. That's right. And he would write about that. If you look through some of the Psalms of David and you see uh, his, his responses, his reactions, and then what, what takes place, uh, he, he had no fear. And in fact, he, 
you, even though it was Saul originally in the story in, in 1 Samuel 14 that had the strong and the mighty men around him, eventually it was David, and David had his 600 strong and mighty men around him everywhere he went. Yeah. And he was known as a warrior, and he was the one. It's, out of David, out of the line of David, comes the Messiah. Yeah. And so he was sustained, and he was built up for this reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, this is God uh, preserving this line that he had begun all the way back in Genesis yeah. when Jacob pronounced that blessing over Judah mm. in Genesis 49. Yeah, it goes all the way back to there. And he said, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Yeah. And that lineage, David being from the tribe of Judah, now that they're in the land and there is the line that is going to follow the king all the way to Messiah the king. Yeah. Well, we hope that this has been a, an encouragement for you, maybe to look at this uh, and, and learn a couple of other tidbits that maybe you hadn't learned or considered before. Um, and we are uh, grateful to be here with you. So thanks for listening. And until next time, we say Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, especially today. Shalom. <laughs>